This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome and thanks for listening to the Total Saints podcast, episode 7. My name's Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners from Twitter. This is the dedicated Southampton podcast that goes to the heart of all things Saints. I'm joined again this week by Adam Leach from the Daily Echo, chief sports writer. You can follow Adam on Twitter, at Adam Leach Sport. Adam, believe you've had a busy few days, including an event at the Solent University. So how are you keeping and what was that all about? Yeah, I'm, I'm really well, thanks. I do a bit of lecturing at the university and obviously have, have a fairly large finger in the pie of media locally at the very least. And I uh, got asked to be on a panel of people to discuss uh, sports journalism, basically, and, and how it's evolved over the last 10 years and where we see it going uh, in the future. And it was basically an event to mark the 10th anniversary of the sports journalism degree at Solent University. So they had Will Cope, who uh, a lot of Saints fans will remember, was uh, commentated on Saints for many years. He runs the sports journalism course there now. And he invited a good panel. I think it was uh, myself and Jeremy Wilson, my former colleague, who's now working for the Daily Telegraph, as many people will know. Fantastic journalist. And Phil McNulty, chief football writer of BBC Sport, sort of representing the written side, if you like. And then there was Gary Taphouse, commentates on Sky Sports. Nigel Dean, longtime Sky Sports producer. Johnny Cantor from BBC Sussex, uh, commentates on Brighton and, and many... Uh, local people will know him. He commentated on various clubs, including Southampton at various times for Solent as well. And then a couple of other likely lads that you may or may not have heard of called Francis Benali and Matthew Letizier, who were given their, their reflections from the other side of the fence in sports journalism, as well as talking about the move from football player to pundit, which obviously they've both made very successfully and, and good on them for that. So it was just a really interesting event. And there was probably 150, 200 people there, former students from who have graduated and gone on to work and the current intake of students. And we were we were sort of banging away for a good few hours on a whole heap of topics. And it could have could have gone on even longer, I think. So it was it was really nice. I, I, I really uh, had a good afternoon. It was great to hear 
lots of stories from other people because it is one of those industries where you have just a whole heap of anecdotes that you acquire about these um these sort of managers and players you deal with down the years but also to talk about media and sports media and also a shout out to those people who kindly came up and said that they listened to the podcast and enjoyed it as well so good on you and i, I hope we keep on providing something of some use yeah, very much appreciated. Great to hear that feedback positive on the podcast. So thanks, as Adam says, to all of you that uh, listen. We're going to look back at an encouraging defeat, if there is such a thing, against Manchester United. Um, obviously, Saints losing 1-0 this weekend and preview next weekend's trip to Stoke City, an away game which, for any new listeners, will include a prediction on the result from Adam and myself later on. Let's get on with the podcast. We're going to start with our news, reviews and preview section. So Manchester United then, Adam, played well, especially second half. I think ultimately it's no goals and no points at home yet again. So I guess looking at sort of glass half empty. But in terms of the second half performance, I think there was a lot of positives to come for it. But before we look at some of the things that possibly need to be looked at and changed, who who impressed you for Saints? I thought there were quite a few impressive performances, actually, I, I have to say. I thought, again, Mina did very well, I thought especially in the second half, actually. I was encouraged by his his partnership with Romeo and Romeo's part in that as well. Obviously, we know how good Romeo is from last year, but we talked uh, last week about the sort of importance of pairings and, and that pairing in particular. And you don't really know exactly how Romeo is going to uh, fare alongside somebody else. But I was really encouraged to see that even though he didn't take any of the chances that came his way, he he was the one that was really getting forward and breaking beyond the strikers to actually get into the box and get into some scoring positions. And I mean, we've all been saying, you know, they need players breaking forward. Redmond is a bit of an enigma at times, I think. But in the second half, he, he kind of gave that 45 minutes of performance that you think, yes, there's there's a real, real talent in there. And that's just what you want to see from him. For 90 minutes consistently now don't get me wrong that obviously involves his teammates giving him the service he needs but that 45 minutes was a really encouraging glimpse I thought Tadic had another steady game and and they were they were solid at the back generally I thought Forster did pretty well as well made a couple of important saves I felt he was very unlucky with the goal and <laughs> feel a bit sorry for him that one or two people were using uh, him as a bit of a scapegoat and blaming him for the goal. I mean, it was an absolutely cracking save that he made from Lukaku first up and, and he just had to get a pull to it to give it a bit of a bash and just hope that it didn't fall straight back to Lukaku again. It did, but I don't really see what else he could have done. So I think he, to me, looks like he's growing in confidence a little bit again, which is great. And yeah, there, there were some positive performances out there, I thought. As you say, in terms of the second half, gave it a real good go. I was talking to my dad earlier, actually, Jeff Stanfield, for those that know him, and he said, make sure you get in your podcast that the crowd really stuck with them and at the end they were singing, oh, when the Saints, and they were really behind them and they were proud of the way they played. And I guess that's been the, a bit of a, the, the sort of issue over the last few months and the last sort of season or so is the fans get frustrated quite quickly, right, rightly so on many occasions. But that, that second half yesterday showed real encouraging signs for, for the future under Pellegrino and a bit of belief maybe back into the crowd that this team can achieve what it wants to achieve absolutely but the key now is taking it on because i don't wish to be negative about it because i thought it was great and I, I think it is a positive i think it is a launch pad but you then have to go on that stage and you actually have to use it as a launch pad as i've written in in monday's paper people may or may not have read 
my view kind of is that actually without wishing to be too unkind when you're one nil down at half time and you've been outplayed and it's not working against man united the pressure's off because the chances are you're going to lose the game so you can go out and you can have a good go and if you lose but you've really tried hard everybody sings they win the saints and you get applauded off the pitch even though you still haven't scored any goals and you've still lost which is exactly what happened actually you know what it's a lot harder to produce that performance when you're playing stoke newcastle west brom brighton teams like that who are saints next four opponents that's when they need to be playing like they were in the second half against those teams, against teams like that. That's where they need that attacking intensity. They need that higher pressing. They need to be getting the ball out wide, trying to get around the outside of teams rather than playing in front of them so much. That real energy, really giving it a go. What we don't want is for them to retreat back into their shells a little bit when they play those teams, worried about sort of being the one to miss the chance or being the one to make the mistake which against Man United, if you're the one that misses a chance to make the mistake, it doesn't really matter because nobody expects you to win. Against Stoke, you get absolutely hammered for it if you end up not winning a game like that. So there's a launch pad there, but it's one of those that could go one of two ways. And I think that really the crunch is not doing it in the second half against Man United, as encouraging as it is to see it and as welcome as it was. Really, the test is, can you do it against those other teams? Because those other teams... The results against those are the ones that are going to define how well this season goes, rather than the results against Man United, Man City, etc. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't want Saints to be known continually as the plucky team that, that give the top boys a good game but ultimately lose. You, you, as you say, you want them to actually be trying to get positive results from, from this. And I think there's a lot of comments yesterday that United, particularly second half, weren't great and a better team than Southampton or maybe a more clinical team is a fair way of saying it. A more clinical team would have put them to the sword. But just to end the positive element before we go on to the constructive side, I mean, that's eight points from six games under Pellegrino, two wins, two draws, two defeats. If you add that up over the 38 games and look at, you know, I know there will be ups and downs and that sort of thing, but assuming that that's where it goes at this first season, eight points from six games, is that a decent start? Is that an underwhelming start when you look at the fixtures? How, how do you feel the first six games has gone? I would say it's an acceptable start. It's a decent start. It's not a spectacular start. We all felt when we saw the fixture list that really, when we looked at the first 10 games, you looked at it and you thought, well, it's only the Man United game that's in there that doesn't look winnable. Everything else in there looks winnable. So I guess if you if you were thinking that you were hoping that they were going to have a flying season, that they were going to be challenging for fifth or sixth, then you would say it's a disappointing start. I think in reality, where we don't really expect that to be where they're challenging this year, it's a decent start. I I mean, I said at the beginning of the season on the podcast as well, when we were talking about predictions for the season, I thought upper mid-table would be where they were. They're going to beat most of the poor teams in the division, Saints, because they're a lot better than them. They are not going to be the majority of the really good teams in the division who are going to finish in the top five or six. And then the rest of them that are in that middle bracket, I think they'll win more than they'll lose. They will lose some of them, they'll draw some of them, and they'll probably win a few more, which to me still signals upper mid-table. I haven't really seen anything yet that, that changes my mind. And so then you're just on your own opinion then as to whether you think that's a good season or not. And if you do think that's a good season, and I think that is a perfectly acceptable season for Southampton this year, in, a, in what I feel is a bit of a transition year, 
under Pellegrino as he as he kind of tries to put his stamp on things, then I would say from the points they've got, they're bang on course. But actually, a bit like Claude accumulating points last season and it not being deemed good enough, I think what Pellegrino needs now is that impetus behind the team whereby that sort of second half performance against Man United is more commonly what we're seeing from Saints and actually that the performance levels go up even if the results remain a bit more mixed I think as long as you can see that progress that's being made then I think that's more than acceptable it's slow going at the moment but there are signs there in that second half a real showing there for Saints as to what they can do. And I just hope for maybe some of the players that have perhaps potentially lacked a bit of confidence and a bit of belief that this might just get them mentally in the right place, that they realise, well, look, this is what we can do. This is what this guy wants us to do. And we are capable of it. And if we can do it against Man United, you know what, we can do it against Stoke or Newcastle. And hopefully that's what they'll do. And we'll see them playing in that more positive manner and getting wins by being more positive rather than getting them by grinding them out, as it were. When you look at it now, that's three past, three forty-five minutes out of the last four where they've done really, really well. So, you know, turning it around after the Watford game, which was a real disappointment, at least, as you say, there are steps in the right direction now. And just to add as well, it was good to see Mr. Gow there, uh, you know, watching the game as well. So just to end this positive element of the looking back, I think certainly steps in the right direction, as you say. In terms of how we can turn around some of our major Achilles heels, the goal scoring being one of them. Before we go on to talk about that, Virgil van Dijk, obviously it was his first appearance back at St Mary's since the transfer saga that was uh, this summer unfolded. Right decision that he didn't start? Surprised he didn't start? What, what was your thoughts when you saw the team sheet? I wasn't surprised at all. I I must admit, I thought he, he wouldn't start after press conference on Thursday before the game. Pellegrino didn't give a lot away, but it seemed pretty clear to me that he genuinely hadn't quite made up his mind yet. And if I was him, I would have done the same thing, personally. Because at the end of the day, all right, Van Dijk, you could... Yes, OK, he's one of their best players, obviously, we all know that. But the guy's not played for so long. Do you want to chuck him in against Lukaku? Because what, what happens if you, it turns out... If you think it's a borderline decision, it turns out he's not quite ready. Well, he could get absolutely destroyed and the team could get absolutely destroyed. So I think it was it was a sensible decision to wait. People were asking me at the end of last week, what do you think? And I said, well, if it was me and I was looking at the fixture list at the moment, I would be chucking him in for Stoke away, personally. Away from home, less pressure on him. You've then got a two-week international break to then continue to work on him and uh, make sure he's 100% fit, but you've got him some extra game time then. To me, that makes more sense to bring him back. I didn't really see the point in bringing him back yesterday. And also, I'm not sure if you'd have brought him back yesterday, what message would that have sent to the others there, actually? I think that it's already difficult enough for some of them, given the strength and depth of the centre-half, that you've got this guy who, yes, OK, he is a great player, but after everything that's happened with him, if you were Maya Yoshida, and let's say that Maya Yoshida and Jack Stevens are not playing because Van Dyke comes back in, and especially the week after you know you've kept a clean sheet and actually won battling game away from home, and then they bring in this guy who's made all this fuss about leaving, what would that say to them, and what would that say to the rest of the squad? So I think that Pellegrino surely took that into account as well. As we've said before, it's only a matter of time before he comes in. But I thought before the game that was that was the sensible decision, and I I still I still feel it now after the game, despite them losing. I think it was the right call, and, and it'll be interesting to see whether he does make that move 
for Stoke or whether he decides to, to wait a little bit longer. But with that international break coming up, I wonder if he might be mindful to try and get him in before those two weeks off. We'll probably find out that if he can do it on a cold Saturday in Stoke, then he'll be able to do it pretty much anywhere after that, <laughs> won't he? So, yeah. No, obviously, um, as you say, interesting to see what happens with the Stoke game because they certainly won't be a, an easy test and we'll go on to talk about them later. The formation then, Adam, I know you've got a few comments that you want to make based on the, the press conference that you had with Pellegrino last week. Looking at the statistics, that's now nine Premier League games out of the last ten at home where we've not scored a goal, three and four Premier League games under Pellegrino. You said before it seems that the manager and coaching staff don't really have any inclination to look to be wanting to change the 4-2-3-1. I guess my comment would be as a fan watching, is, is that naive or at some point do they really need to think that this isn't working? I mean, yesterday we, we looked so much better when we had two up front and went for it a little bit more. I know there's been various comments from other journalists, Adam Blackmore and such, like looking at three five twos and trying to get Van Dyke in the side and, and maybe looking at the midfield outlets. So based on your thoughts on the formation now and the press conference you have with Pellegrino last week, where, where do you think it's going in terms of what might happen? Based on Pellegrino's comments, I, I still feel that, that the view I've given on the podcast before holds true. And that's that I just don't think that it's a conversation that's, that's going to bear any fruit, really, because I don't think he's at the moment, looking like he, he wants to change it at all. I mean, I specifically asked him about two strikers and the possibility of two strikers, given the home goal-scoring problems and, and the context of that, before the game. And I asked him a couple of questions about various aspects of it. And he gave a very, very passionate response, I have to say. The story's on the Echo website, if anybody wants to go and read the finer print of his quotes as well. But in summary... He said, well, no, <laughs> no, he said, he pointed out none of the best teams in the world play two up front. Why don't they play two up front? Well, it's in modern day football, it's all about controlling the game. If you play two up front, yes, in one moment when the ball comes in the box, you might have a better chance to score. But actually, are you going to create those chances to score? Because you won't have control of the game. You might not have an extra player out wide. You lose control of the midfield with two up front, potentially, in his eyes. And yeah, I mean, I, I made another point to him and he sort of came back and said, well, you know, do you think me or any other manager, if there's a really great striker on the bench who's going to score you 15 goals, would leave him on the bench basically just for the sake of it? Of course not. Of course not. We would, we would have them on the pitch. But his job, he said, is to do the best for the football club, not by any one individual or to worry about what people are complaining about with the formation. So I think given the passion of the response, it was kind of, I, I read it almost as he was a bit sick to death of being told by everybody that he should change formation. And that was the problem, given that I'm not sure that he believes that's the problem. I think he feels he has the players to play 4-2-3-1 and be successful, but he's trying to work on, on getting them to do what he wants and, and the key to that as he kept saying was he wants more players arriving in the box and, the, and that is something that we saw Romeo doing as I mentioned earlier much more against Manchester United um, now obviously Romeo's not the great most clinical of finishers but that is an encouraging sign to see that actually if that's what he's working on then at least that is happening and, and if he can get the, the other three attacking support players to the main striker doing that then I think that he believes that will deliver more goals and he'll be happy with that. So you never know with managers because they could just as likely to surprise you one day and do something that you just didn't expect. But given the strength of his argument, I don't really see any likelihood of the formation changing anytime soon. Um, in terms of starting formation, now during a game, 
he has proved adaptable. He has played three in the back during a game that he's changed to. He has played two up front during a game that he's changed to. But in terms of that basic style that he sets the team out and the way he's training them to play during the week, I don't want to see it change him for 4-2-3-1 from, from what I'm hearing from him anyway. The thing is, Adam, a lot of the comments that you make make sense if your team is doing well. He talks about the biggest teams in the world. Saints aren't one of those. We haven't got a Romelu Lukaku up front. So when you, you sort of think about that, and similarly, he says about playing two up front when you're in control of the game. Well, we only ever seem to switch to playing two up front when we're chasing the game, which kind of contradicts what he is saying. And as I say, I mean, I, I'm not a football manager. Far be it for me to tell someone with his record what he should be doing but I guess ultimately fans pay money to watch teams play entertaining football they did that yesterday admittedly but they want to see goals you know fans want to bring their children along to see goals to cheer goals sooner or later I mean we've had packed houses every game so far obviously the fans did stick with them later but a bit like the formation and the naivety around that and the stubbornness around that sooner or later you have to admit if it's not working and likewise sooner or later you may get fans that think I'm not going to pay 35 quid to go and watch Southampton nil play. I'm going to go watch someone else or I'm going to go watch a local Saturday league game or something like that because ultimately it's an entertainment business and I guess the points you're making are quite right. It will take time to maybe get players flung into the box but how many games are you going to give it? Five games, ten games? By that time you're halfway through the season you may, may be playing catch-up. So with every answer there is another question that comes off the back of that. Just to sum up really what Pellegrino said uh, to finish with in, in, a, in, a, in another answer is that well, I'm judged by results. So basically, this is what he thinks is right. This is what he's going to do. And he knows the consequences if it doesn't go right. We did see fans starting to stay away, didn't we, towards the end of last season. The attendances dipped a little bit. People were a bit bored with the football and, and the lack of goals. And also, I think the lack of excitement because Saints' season basically was pretty much over at the end of February once once Wembley had been and gone, and there really wasn't much else to play for particularly. And if they end up in that situation again, then I think Pellegrino knows that, that it's his neck on the block at the end of the day, but he's got to do what he thinks right is right and be given the chance to do it. And also, although he needs to be aware of the context in which he was appointed and what happened last season... I don't like the idea of too much of throwing at him the problems of the last manager and saying, oh, you know, we didn't score loads of goals under Claude either. Oh, Claude played that formation as well. And so, actually, you know what, he's only had six league games. So I, I still feel in the mould of, well, let's give him a chance. He's st probably still assessing his squad at the moment. Let's be honest, he's still actually getting to know the players. He hasn't been here all that long and he had a very disrupted pre-season due to the... A number of late returns that he had so that it takes time to work now we're going into another international break very soon then we have a few more games and we have yet another international break and when we come out of that one albeit that sounds ludicrous because it's november the way the season's structured you haven't actually played that many games by the middle of november but then we get that real rhythm then when the season really ramps up again uh, towards the end of November, into December, talking about the transfer window as well, once he really knows his squad. And I think that's that's about the time when I think we really need to judge him. And I think if that's about the time, that if at that stage the formation really clearly isn't working, then I, I feel like when you've kind of got to that period where you've had about maybe a third, quarter, a third of the season, that it's fair to turn around and, and at that point say, well, look, come on, this isn't working. You've given it a a good amount of time to work on this. You've given it a good go. 
surely it's time to look at anything else. There's nothing wrong with discussing it. It's not being unsupportive to discuss it. And, you know, that's what makes the, the football world go round is that we all talk about this kind of stuff all the time. And in the press room before the game yesterday, there was a lot of talk amongst the other journalists and pundits there. that I was having conversations about the formation and if we were fantasy managing it, what we would or wouldn't do. But ultimately, I think he deserves the time to try and get it right and do the way, do it the way he wants on his own merits. And then if that's not working then you come to a, a decision then, don't you, if you're him? You've either got to be prepared to be very stubborn and stick with it and take the flak and potentially what comes with that as a manager, and we all know what that is, or you have to change it. But you have to give it a while to work. I don't really feel that six league games and one cup game really is enough to have decided that Pellegrino should be changing formation from the way he wants to play because he hasn't really had that great a chance to get them to play the way he wants to play yet. We ran a poll today on the Total Saints podcast Twitter page where we asked fans, based on what you've seen so far of Pellegrino's Saints, where do you think they'll finish in the league? We had higher than 8th, 8th to 12th, 13th to 17th, or the bottom three. In terms of the results, 10% said that they felt Saints would finish higher than 8th. The majority, 76%, so three quarters of the people that voted had us 8th to 12th. 13% 13% had us 13th to 17th, and just 1% had us in the bottom three. I guess pretty much reiterates what you said there, that fans can obviously see progress with Pellegrino. Three quarters of them are comfortable that we will finish in that 8th to 12th position. So I'm going to ask you whether you agree. I think I probably know the answer, but your, your thoughts on that? Who on earth voted for them to finish in the bottom three? <laughs> it, cer- it certainly wasn't me, anyway. So yeah. I, had, I, I had a 17th. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> Oh, my goodness me. Well, I don't think we need to worry about the finishing uh, below Crystal Palace, that's for sure. So, yes, I think 8 to 12th is likely. I mean, the only thing is, I'd be interested to get your view on this as well. When, when you look at the table now, I mean, the top five has a very familiar feeling to it. I mean, we all expect the five that are up there that have made their way to the top five already after six games, which is very ominous, to be in the top five. We'd expect Arsenal to rally, They, you know, what they're like <laughs> at this time of the year. But we'd expect them to put a run together, I'm sure, and be in the top six. But, I mean, I, I think a lot of us wondered whether Everton were going to, given the, obviously they lost Lukaku, but given the sums of money that, that was spent there by Ronald Koeman, whether they were going to nail down seventh. Now that they're not, Potentially, I don't know what you think about it, whether you think actually they are going to come good and put that together, that run together to finish seventh. But if not, actually that opens up another potential position, I would suggest, for Southampton to compete for. I'm not saying that they're definitely going to get it, but I mean, who are they going to be competing for seventh with? Probably Everton in the long run, yes. And then you're looking at Watford, maybe, or Newcastle, West Brom. Well, to my mind, we're, we're not... Well, we can moan all we want about the, the intricacies of when you're watching Saints every week of the little issues or the goals or, or formations, whatever. But actually, just when you look at it on paper, I can't really say that for sure that these teams are better than Southampton and, and that Southampton don't have a, a fighting chance of battling for potentially seventh. I do agree that kind of 8 to 12th is where I pegged them at the start of the season. I mentioned earlier that I thought... They'll beat the poor teams in the league. They'll probably lose the majority of the big teams in the league, or at least not beat the majority of the big teams. And then the battle is in that middle ground and how you do against those teams over over a long season. You've got a lot of games against those sides where really you're going to decide which mid-table-ish position you finish. But 
I'm just wondering whether something a little bit a bit different to what we expect at the start of the season might actually be happening and maybe there is genuinely going to be seventh place up for grabs this year and, and obviously that could potentially mean Europa League football again. I mean, what, what do you reckon? Do you think Everton are going to are going to come on strong or, or is that just genuinely up for grabs for, for any one of those teams? I certainly don't think Saints are good enough to finish seventh at the moment, the way they're playing. In terms of Everton, it's it's a weird one. I mean, they've, they've obviously struggled to the start of the season. To be fair to them, they have had a tough fixture list, but for the amount of money they've spent, I'm surprised at how poorly they've competed in many of those games. They've not replaced Lukaku, which is 20-25 goals a season, so that's hard. But everyone talks, don't they, about the, the Premier League being almost two leagues within one league. You've got the top six that are in a league of their own, and then you've got everyone else fighting to finish seventh and eighth. And the, the funny thing is, there's so many sort of inconsistent teams. I mean, you look at the likes of Stoke draw against Man United, but then they get pumped by Chelsea. You look at West Brom, they get off to a really good start, then they lose to Brighton. You look at Burnley, they've, they've got fantastic results away from home, but then they couldn't beat Huddersfield at home yesterday. So I think that the funny thing about the Premier League is that bottom 14 teams almost are really inconsistent, and it and it only takes a team to put three or four wins together and they can shoot right up the table. Everyone talks about the, the Premier League taking 10 games to really settle down and then you start to get a feel for where teams will finish. And even when you look at Saints, like you, I don't really know if it's been a great start to the season or a bad start to the season. Eight points from six games doesn't sound great, but actually when you think about the way they've played, a few goals, they should have beat Swansea, they probably could have got a win at Huddersfield and they, they could have got something yesterday and suddenly we're on 11-12 points looking much better. So it's really a weird one. As I said before, I'm like every Saints fan. I sit here and I think, right, 32 points to go. You know, let's get them as soon as we can and then we can relax. But if you work it out now, looking at eight points from six games, if you tally that up across the season, obviously they've got harder games to come. But that's 45, 50 points, which will be enough to probably finish mid-table. So it's a weird one, Adam. I mean, I, I really, even Watford, you look at them, they've been pretty poor at home, but then they've won all three away games against tough places to go in, in Bournemouth ourselves and, and Swansea. So it's, it's hard to tell. I, I, I genuinely think anyone could finish 7th, 8th, ninth. a West Brom, a Watford. Palace obviously look pretty doomed in terms of that. And I think there will be teams that will struggle. I think even though Brighton have got off to a decent start, they're going to struggle to beat some of the good teams and score as well. So I genuinely think it's that sort of season where you could finish 8th or ninth, or a bit like last season. I mean, there was, what, six points between where we finished and 17th. It could be that tight again, and you have a couple of poor poor results, and suddenly you go from mid-table down to sort of, you know, 16th, 17th position. And when you think about revenue and all those things, it can make quite a difference, can't it? Yeah, I mean, that was one of the sticks that was obviously used to be clawed with in the, in the arguments as to whether he should remain as manager, was that, well, he finished 8th, and the top seven were miles away and Saints were, didn't have the squad to finish in the top seven last year. And so he finished eighth. There's literally the, the best position that he could possibly have guided that squad to. Oh, yeah, but look at the number of points. Look how tight it was. Oh, only a couple of results and it would have been 14th or 15th or something like that. Well, actually, it's going to be that tight again because that is probably just the way the division is. But... I mean, I don't know, but the, the Saints are obviously playing in the next four games. A lot of these teams that, that now are in this bunch here. So I don't think they will probably finish seventh. I think that's a big ask. But I, I, I'm a bit more optimistic that they, they at least, I feel like they're in the hunt for that. And at least that's something that people can really get behind. Because I think that's one thing that was so drifting at the end of last season because for so long there was not, felt like there was nothing to play for. 
And given that the League Cup has already fallen by the wayside, without a really good FA Cup run, all attention, we've got another, what, however many months now, what, eight months of Premier League football in which they're only going to play 32 more matches. So we want something exciting, don't we? we want, so we don't want the, the battle for 11th. Is not, you know, nobody, nobody's going to get excited about that. Even the most ardent fans are going to struggle to get excited about that one. So I'd like to think that they can put themselves in a position whereby they can at least be in that group in amongst those maybe five or six teams that are genuinely going to have a shot at seventh now. Given Everton's start, it seems like they aren't going to have a seventh place all to themselves as it stands at the moment. It's, it's funny how far we've come, isn't it? You think back to all those years at the Dell, chewing your, your fingers down to your knuckles, relegation, last game of the season, having to beat, I don't know, Manchester United by five clear goals or something, always <laughs> doing it, Letiz rifling four of them or something, and now you think uh, we've all got bored with finishing 11th. It's, it's kind of funny how far Saints fans have come, really, because I, I think, as I say, you know, you always look at the fixture list, you sort of look at the running, and you, you get that whole mentality of being a Saints fan. As I said there, you sort of think, right, 32 points to go to get to the, the magical 40 points. So, yeah, it's, it's funny, um, I guess, how far Saints have come over the last 10, 15 years in terms of all those relegation battles, isn't it? Oh, it definitely is. I mean, it's, they've, come, they've obviously come a very long way, and this is part of the wider issue, which I've mentioned on here before, but I won't, I won't bang on about now. But obviously this kind of... I think slight identity crisis at the club and amongst the supporters are kind of well, where where is Saints' place in the world now? What is it? Because it was for so long it was battling against the odds, the real underdogs to stay up all the time, just fighting, fighting, fighting to stay up. It's not that anymore. They've moved beyond that now, which is a massive positive for the football club. It's a huge positive. Yes, obviously first priority, as you say quite rightly, is getting enough points to stay in the league, but then. We're kind of in a position now where where we don't want to see go into a season following Saints thinking, really, oh, they could be in relegation trouble. We're looking at, well, how high can they finish? But then when you're in that position whereby you're not really fearing relegation, but you're also thinking, well, the top six, which are really the glamour places, are basically out of reach before a ball's been kicked, more or less, or so it feels, then it's difficult because how exciting is that? How exciting is being a mid-table, upper-mid-table Premier League club? I'll tell you one thing, it's a really hard thing to do from Saints' point of view. It's really difficult to be up there and to stay up there year after year after year. That is so difficult. It's such a massively good achievement. But is it exciting? No, no, it's not that exciting. That's the truth. And I think this is the kind of slight identity crisis that everybody's struggling with a little bit at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I, I just hope that they can get something going. And so there is at least a feeling of excitement, a feeling of something to strive towards this season and, and to really keep everybody engaged and, and behind them rather than that kind of just total drift that we had in the last few months of last year. Absolutely. Well, I think it's certainly two positives. It's good to see Saints playing well. Hopefully the goals will come. And I think also, bearing in mind it's been a frustrating 12 months or so for fans, I think three quarters of those that voted showing that they're confident Saints will, will still finish mid-table, I think shows that they're encouraged by what they're seeing as well. So that's enough about Manchester United. Let's go on to um, preview the Stoke City game at Britannia next weekend. Thank you. 
State City then, Adam, always a tough place to go. It's the sort of game that you really have to be up for. You know you're going to get a battle and um, certainly going to have to play to our best. I think looking at Stoke, they've had a mixed season so far. They've won one, they've drawn two, they've lost three. So below us in the table going into the game. Just before we go on to talk about Saints and, and the setup. Mark Hughes, he, he took over at Stoke in 2013, so four years ago. I, I guess as a Saints fan, I couldn't say I admire Stoke necessarily, but I look at them and think they're, they're one of those clubs that don't really seem to progress or go anywhere. They just plonk themselves about 12th every season. They don't really do anything in the Cups. In terms of him and what he's done at Stoke, do you think he's done a good job? I, I, I guess that probably ties in with what you said a little bit about how hard it is to finish mid-table, but they don't, they don't really seem to go anywhere, Stoke City. Yeah, I think they're one of those that are sort of marooned, really, in the, in that mid-table area, and they're fighting to have the one really good season where they break out of it. I think that's that's really what most clubs are aiming for, is to get that one outstanding season. Now, I'm not saying that the clubs are going into it wanting a, a Leicester-like season. Obviously, they'd like that, but thinking that that's realistic. But that one season where they it really all comes together, and they, re- they do finish seventh, say, or, or eighth or something like that. Maybe they get a European football if they finish seventh. Or a really great cup run. Now, Stoke are a very different team. They're obviously a smaller club than Southampton. The stadium's smaller. They've got a smaller fan base. The team's uh, got a slightly different makeup. Obviously, Saints are very much trying to push through a lot of academy players. Stoke is very much more. They're, they're obviously buying and selling the majority of their talent. I suppose Saints are buying and selling the majority of their talent these days. But with the philosophy that they want to try and get young players involved as whereas Stoke is a bit more that their players just being bought in as it were has Hughes done a good job I think he's done a decent job yeah I, I mean then he hasn't done an amazing job because they haven't had that huge breakout season yet but he's kept them in the Premier League they're always competitive they obviously had this uh, they're still big and strong and physical but he's obviously moved them on from what was the uh, the Tony Pudis era and, and the sort of the reputation they had for the way they played then. They play some nice football now. They're not a, necessarily a bad team to watch. They do seem to be relatively inconsistent, which I'm sure would be a frustration if you were a fan of theirs. But I, th- I think he's done a decent job. I don't, I don't think you could really... Uh, whether they would feel like actually they want to be more ambitious and actually they want to be challenging higher up the league and he's the man to do that or not, that's a call for them to make in their chairman. But actually, he's one of those guys. He's a solid manager. You can be fairly reliant, that, uh, comfortable that he will provide you a, a team that is going to keep you in the Premier League and be competitive. And you'll have some good days and you'll have some bad days. But that's probably, as we said, there's probably an awful lot of teams in that category. And given they're not the biggest of the clubs in that bracket, yeah, probably a, a satisfactory job, I would say. Two positives I would say about Stoke. Their fans obviously get behind them. Delilah, they sing a lot, and, and certainly it's quite a passionate, tough environment to play. And the second thing I'd say, having been there a couple of times to watch them, they have the, the best-trained ball boys in the world. When Stoke are losing, they can't get the ball back quickly enough, but when they're winning, the ball goes awry, the ball boy can't find <laughs> it, he's lost it, you know, all that. Honestly, I, I, the frustration of sitting in the way end when you lose in 1-0 and you see a ball boy throwing the ball away in the wrong direction, all that sort of thing. Unsurprisingly, when we go to take a throw and you don't get offered the towel like Rory Delap used to and all that sort of thing. So, uh, so yeah, so certainly two positives that I can think of with Stoke. And as, as I say, obviously it's going to be a battle. I mean, it's the sort of game where Saints have had a few lacklustre 45 minutes in the first half this season. You can't afford to do that at um, Stoke, really, can you? So do you think we can 
go there and get a positive result? Yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult game. Doka obviously getting hammered by Chelsea. They're going to really be keen to... Confidence will be low, but they're going to be keen to bounce back in, in front of their own supporters, who, as you say, are very, very passionate. And they will see Southampton, another another team they will see as sort of another mid-table team, a bit like them. But they will feel like this is a game that they could and should win when they're playing at home, maybe not away from home. Southampton would expect to win, but at home they probably feel like they should win this. And I think it will be a difficult game. You look at their 1-11 to and their first one or two changes off the bench, and actually they've got some talent. They've got some decent players. Um, so I, I, I predict, I foresee a difficult game for Saints. But as I said earlier, if you've got ambitions of wanting to finish high up in in the league as you know in the, in the, the challenging for that seventh eighth type position well these are the type of teams you need to be aren't they really all right away from home you would probably say away to stoke yeah if you came away with a point and then you followed that up i know there's international break but you followed that up then by beating uh newcastle at home yeah that's a decent four points okay yeah you take that that's that's good but actually, this is a game that, that Saints can win and one that they definitely don't really want to lose if, if they've got ambitions of, of being in that bracket, realistically. You look at our record up there, we've only scored two goals, I think, in the last four games against them in home and away. But you think about the Pochettino era we drew, you think about Cumin, um, we won the cup game up there, we then beat them 2-1 when Mane got sent off. You remember that great game, I say great in inverted commas, when Cameron Jerome smashed one in the top corner from about the halfway line to draw. I do remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So we've actually got a pretty decent record up there over the last sort of few years, yeah. haven't we? So I think when you, you think about that and the optimism, I know it's a, a completely changed Saints squad now pretty much, but as a club, that's the sort of place where you have lucky grounds, you have bogey grounds. And I guess even though it is a tough place, our, our record there isn't bad. Yeah, no, there's, there's a lot of memories of going up there and sitting in uh, Mark Hughes press conferences where he's been quite annoyed at the result afterwards, actually. I can recall in recent years. So that, that bodes well, really. But, I mean, you know what it's going to be like up there. As you said, the atmosphere is going to be pretty raucous, I imagine. It always is. It's going to be really sodding windy because it's, it's always, always windy, really windy. Yeah, it's always that. windy yeah. at Stoke. Yeah. Well, those exposed open corners, I don't know how it is so windy. I mean, it's like... It, it is always crazily windy. And you know that you're going to be in for a fight as well. You're not going to... You're, well, you're very unlikely to turn up and just find yourself able to comfortably roll them over. You know you're going to have to win a big physical battle as well as having to play well. You're probably not going to get a whole raft of chances. So Saints are going to need to be a bit more clinical. But I, I fancy Saints will get chances against them. So reasonable opportunity to get three points away from home, I would say. You mentioned about Virgil van Dijk earlier. From your point of view, manager Leach going to Stoke, assuming van Dijk's in your, your starting lineup then for the reasons you mentioned, to give him a bit of fitness and uh, a bit of match time before the international break, is there anything else you would change from the Manchester United formation, Adam? I think I would leave it fairly the same. Again, again I think when the teams actually play well, yes, they didn't get a result. I don't like tinkering with it too much. I think this might be a good opportunity to reintroduce Virgil so I would probably do that but other than that no I don't think I would really change too much more I can't I can't really think of what else I would do I mean there's obviously going to be a debate over who should be the one up front the striker when you've got three options you've got obviously Long, Gabbiadini and Austin I wouldn't be entirely surprised if he changed that around again 
I think he would probably want either Long or Gabbiadini for their mobility because they might end up playing somewhat on the counter-attack against Stoke, I suspect. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's almost a like, you know, one like for like. Fair enough, if that's what he decides to go with, but I would probably stick with Long. I think he did well yesterday to start the game, at least. And then, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't really see the argument of making too many changes. I guess the interesting thing will be, if Virgil did come back, who he's going to play alongside him ultimately um, in the longer run. That that will be a very interesting thing. Um, I know we discussed it briefly last week, but uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't make any other changes. What about you? No, I think I'd bring Virgil in probably for Yoshida so that if Van Dijk and Hoyt is going to be the, the long-term partnership, obviously the sooner they can start playing together, the better. Um, in, in terms of striker, I'd leave Shane Long up there. I think the only way that Shane Long is going to get any confidence, any reliability in the way he's playing is to get games, so I, I think I would leave him up there. We know what he offers. He will. I mean, again, even in Manchester United game, he won several headers that if anyone was running beyond him, they would have got onto. So he will still do that at Stoke. They're they're centre backs. I mean, I'm assuming they're going to be what Zuma and Vimmer, Zuma and Shawcross, something like that. They're not the fastest. I mean, Zuma's pretty nippy, but Shawcross certainly, if you're playing off of him, he's not going to fancy running towards his own goals. So I think for me, I would leave the same team as yesterday. I probably would just bring in Virgil for Yoshida, leave it like that. If we're going to stick with one up front, then you don't need to really change anything else. So I think I would I would go with that and see what happens really, yep. So what do you think the score's going to be then? My prediction, I, I can't see us keeping a clean sheet, but I do think we'll get something actually. I, I fancy Saints now that they're playing with a bit more confidence. I, obviously, I can't say nil-nil because I've said we won't keep a clean sheet. So I'm going to go 1-1, Adam. I think we'll we'll get something up there. What about you? Oh, that's what I was going to say. Damn you. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't really feel like we can make the same prediction, really. Not that I often remember what I said the week before. We, we should, yeah, we should keep some sort of... I was thinking that. We don't really, really relay on the fact that I said it was going to be 2-0, therefore I was closer, you know, Manchester United, some sort of points tally. We're, we're quite amicable, the way we sort of sweep it under the carpet and pretend no one knows what we've predicted. So. Yeah, we should we should definitely keep it that way and hope that nobody else feels the need to bring us up on it. So i tell you what, I'm, I'm gonna, I've got to stick with what I think that makes more sense. So I will go one all as well, and then if we're wrong, we will both be wrong. Well, that's the end of our podcast for this week episode 7 hope you've enjoyed it and thanks for listening we'll be back next week with views on the Stoke game you can follow us on Twitter at Total Saints Pod you can also follow us on Facebook so please do that um, all of our podcasts are available to download from the iTunes store and you can find them on SoundCloud certainly a, a number of ways to keep in touch with the podcast as Adam mentioned at the start certainly appreciative of all the feedback we do get Adam thanks again for joining us and look forward to speaking to you next week yeah, likewise, Ben, and uh, hope you and all the listeners have a good week. I was going to say, safe trip to Stoke and make sure you take a woolly hat with you. I'll be getting the scarf out for the first time, I'm sure. Excellent. Thanks for listening, as I say. Have a good week and keep marching in. We'll speak to you next time. Bye-bye. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.